allow Titus to teach his congregation. So let's read the whole chapter. Um, in this service, maybe you can see the words, but in the last service, I think they couldn't see the words. Um, so let me just read. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exalt and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. You know, I used to rubbish the precepts. Have you heard of precepts way of uh, Bible study where you need to bring a box of colour pencils and, and they will make you colour this and colour that to study the Bible, but uh, no longer because you can see all the or the colors here. So what you see in red is sound. Three, three times in this chapter, sound in doctrine, sound in love, sound in faith, sound in speech. The yellow, four times in this chapter, talks about self-control. And then the blue are the so that. So that the name of God not be reviled. So that your opponents may be put to shame. So that they will have nothing evil to say about you. And then the third one is so that we may adorn the doctrine of God. So following the colors, this will be, as usual, a three-point sermon talking about sound, soundness, self-control, and the so that. So sound, the word sound in, in other portions of the Bible is translated as well or healthy. You can see there in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, and Jesus answered them, those who are well, those who are sound, the same Greek word, have no need of a doctor or physician, but those who are sick. So it's talking about health. Sound in doctrine, healthy doctrine. Sound in faith, healthy faith. And sound in speech, healthy speech. It's about the internal life, the, the soundness of our emotions and the soundness of our spiritual health. And these must be evidence. They must show. They must show in the soundness of our Christian character and our Christian behavior. But all this has to be seen in the context of the days of Paul when he was writing this about uh, uh, writing to Titus 
who was the pastor of the church in Crete. Crete is an island uh, uh, in, in the Mediterranean. And at that time, Crete was the most unhealthy place. Cicero um, wrote about Crete. Indeed, moral principles are so divergent that the Cretans consider highway robbery to be honourable. So stealing highway robbery is good in the Christian, uh, Cretan culture. Stealing is good. Polybius wrote, um, money is held in such high honour among the Cretans that its acquisition is not only regarded as necessary, but as most honourable. So much, in fact, do sordid love of gain and lust for wealth prevail among them that the Cretans are the only people in the world, he says in those days, in whose eyes no gain is disgraceful. So no matter how you cheat and no matter how you get your money, so long as you get your money, it is good. So power and might, as far as it relates to getting money, is good. And that's the culture of Crete. Diodorus of uh, Sicily related the story of a Cretan soldier who betrayed his whole army to the Romans. And he scorned Roman citizenship, which usually is what happens when you betray your nation, and then you take on citizen, citizenship of that nation, but he wanted money instead. These three uh, quotes or writers were all after Christ. That means AD. But even 600 years before Christ, the Cretans has already had a bad name. So they were at least, they had a bad name for at least 600 years. And the poet Epimenides wrote about a Greek god uh, called Zeus and he said this, They fashioned the tomb for thee, Zeus, O holy and high one. The Cretans, always liars, evil beasts, idle bellies. But thou art not dead, thou livest and abideth forever, for in thee we live and move and have our being. In this four-verse poem, the second verse is quoted in Titus. In Titus chapter 1, verse 12, the last line is quoted in Acts Chapter 17, verse 28. So even from the secular so-called poems or literature, we learn about Cretans. And so for several hundred years, at least 600, the Cretans are well known for their greed or for their violence. Where stealing is good, where might is right, where lying is good, where treachery is good. And you know there is such a thing called the Epimenides paradox. So Epimenides is a Cretan. So if a Cretan says that all Cretans are liars, it's Epimenides lying. And therefore, they are not lying. Okay, this one, we leave it to the philosophers or the philosophers, <laughs> philosophers to sort out. So Crete, you can say, in the days of Paul and Titus, was one bad place, one unhealthy place where I believe that Judas, if you relate the story of Judas, he would be considered a hero because of his treachery and because of his love for money. So now let's, let's go through, in this context, verse by verse, Paul's instruction as an older man to a younger pastor, Titus, and, and what Titus was then supposed to teach the Cretans. So, first, the older man. Titus chapter 2, verse 1, As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Verse 2, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Sober-minded, 
many other translations doesn't have the minded, it just says sober. And indeed, the Greek word refers to alcohol. Obvious problem in Crete was addiction to alcohol. And even today, there are some cultures where, where alcoholism or heavy drinking is admired. I know of at least one culture, like in North Asia, or let me just say in China, where, where we can only become good friends if we drink, and if I drink you under the table. And then we become good friends, or at least good business partners. And so therefore, in many situations, when you do business out there, you need to drink. And if you are totally drunk, then they'll, they'll welcome you as a good friend. Uh, kind of like my grandson here. He says, I drink until I pass out. Okay, then that's good. Okay, but in this case, it's just drinking milk. So we can even expand this idea of sobriety, right? Of not being drunk with, of being sober. Not being drunk from what? Okay, obviously one is alcohol, but you can also be drunk with all kinds of things like materialism, pornography addiction, gaming addiction, and it is simply unbecoming to be drunk, to be addicted to such things. And then the word is uh, dignified. Dignified, very simple, means worthy of respect. So older man, you ought to be worthy of respect, earn the respect. Self-control, which is uh, the word in yellow, I'm going to talk more about that as a separate category uh, later on. Two versions of the Bible translate that word not so much as self-control, but simply the word sensible. But we'll talk more about that later. And sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Healthy spiritually in faith, healthy in self-sacrificial agape love, and healthy in steadfastness. Healthy, sound in patience. Now the older woman, verse 3. All the women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Reverence in behavior means to be holy, to be God-honoring in all that you do. Now, the word slanderer in Greek is diabolos, and immediately you know that the English word diabolical would, would come from this uh, Greek word, and that word actually means devil or devilish, because you can see it is used in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the diabolos, to be tempted by the devil. And so in the context of Titus, the word diabolos is also translated into as malicious gossip, false accusers, and you know that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Saying that wrong is right and that right is wrong, kind of like Isaiah 5, Verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Just turning things around. That bad is good and good is bad. And then talks about among the older women, you must not be slaves to much wine. And so you can see that drunkenness was really a problem uh, in Crete. And uh, you can also say that perhaps addictions of of, of various kinds might also be a problem in Singapore. And then it says, teach what is good because Crete was so bad. Teach what is good. And then the next category would be the young woman. So Paul tells Titus to teach, okay, you teach the older woman to set a good example so that, in verse 4, 
and so train the young woman to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, that's the word again, self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. And so yes, young women need to be trained to love husbands and children. You know, that, 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 that word train there comes from the same Greek root word as self-control or sensible. So young women need to be sensibilized to love their husbands and children because it is not a given. Maybe some women think that some younger women in, in the days of uh, Paul thinks that to love means to nag, to try and change their husbands, to belittle them uh, in, in public, or just to be a control freak. It could be that way. Or, or maybe they think that to love the children means to send them to a lot of tuition and enrichment classes and, and all that. And so if that is the situation, then Paul tells Titus, you get the older woman right, set a good example, and then teach the young woman what really it means to love the husbands and to love your children. And they need to be trained to go against all the bad traditions or, or, or the bad culture of his days or, or even the societal pressure of his days. And then self-control, that yellow color word again, more about that later. Pure. Young woman, be pure. Pure means the word is chaste, which means don't chase. Okay? Don't chase after other men, uh, including metrosexual Korean boy bands and, and, and whatever nots. Okay? So it's chaste. Then working at home. Now, this working at home is a compound work in Greek. It's guard is home. So guard your home. So there is a principle here, right? You can build a very beautiful home. You can buy a beautiful home. You can sell a beautiful home for more money, but you cannot buy or sell or subcontract homemaking. How that home is filled with love within the family, that cannot be bought or sold. That cannot be subcontracted and and, and Paul here says that older women teach the young woman to build that home. And then kind, uh, kind is the Greek word agathos, from where you get the name Agatha. Um, and uh, Singaporeans will pronounce it as Agatha. Uh, it just means good. Huh? It is one of the aspects of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit, good. And then submissive to their own husbands. I covered that in the Ephesians chapter 5 sermon some weeks ago, so I'm not going to go there again. And all that, so that the Word of God may not be reviled. And other trans, uh, the word revile is blasphemio. And you know for straight away that the, it comes from, uh, from which the word blaspheme comes. So that, so that the Word of God, if, if the young woman behaves badly, the Word of God will be blasphemed. It will be malign. And malign comes the word malignant. It'll be just like rotten. Okay, then the next category is a younger man. Titus chapter 2, verse 6, Likewise, urge the younger man to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. That cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So, yellow word, Self-control, we'll talk about that later. A model of good works. In the King James Version, it says a pattern of good works. And the idea is that of an impression, right? You squeeze um, a, a bowl out, a pattern, a model of good works. So in one sense, 
Paul is telling all the young men, you need to be impressive, right? You impress, you be a good model, you make a good model, so be impressive. And then integrity is simply uncorruptibility, dignity, same for older men, same for younger men, the seriousness, you can be fun-loving, but there is a seriousness of purpose for living your life. And then sound speech or life-giving speech that cannot be condemned is beyond reproach, is unimpeachable. It cannot be censured. So that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. And then the last category would be servants, chapter 2, verse 9. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering or, or stealing, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. So I've covered the uh, relationship of servants to masters in the Ephesian sermon. I won't get too much into this. Well-pleasing means or is translated as acceptable. The same word that is used in Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 1, that, uh, oh, I don't have it here. That says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Well-pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what is acceptable to God is well-pleasing. And so that in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. Okay, now let's get into the yellow word, self-control. The word self-control is used four times in Titus chapter 2, but it is a different Greek word from the self-control that is used in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and then self-control, the ninth aspect of uh, the fruit of the Spirit. There's a different Greek word, and there it akratia is a combination of ego and kratos. Kratos means power. Ego means you, your inner man. So, your inner man controlling power, self-control. That's the meaning there. But in Titus, the Greek word is sophronio. And how is it used elsewhere in the Bible? You can look at Mark chapter 5, verse 15. The story where the demon-possessed man was delivered of demons, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion of demons sitting there, clothed, and in his sophronio, in his right mind, and they were afraid. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Sophronio, sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Uh, other translations say, therefore, be self-controlled and sober for the sake of your prayer, so that you can pray. Be sensible so that you can pray. So it's more, in this word self-control in Titus, it's more talking about the control of your mind, to be sensible. Don't be just crazy like the culture of his days where good is bad and bad is good, where, where it's simply about the love of money and, and it's about drunkenness. It says that our minds must be controlled by God, by God the Holy Spirit. And very often when that happens, it is counter-cultural. It's counter to the culture of his days. It makes godly sense to be self-controlled, to be sensible, even if it makes no sense to the ungodly. So you're going to remain poor 
in the Cretan society because they're not out for, for greedy gain like everybody else. It makes no sense, but it makes godly sense. So let's look again at these four categories of people, the older man, the younger man, the older woman, the young woman. And what is a common caricature, uh, say, in, in, in Singapore society? When, you, when I say older man, what do you think of? What is the local term for older man in Singapore? Uncle. Right? <laughs> uncle. Um, and when you think of uncle, what is the, the word that comes first to your mind? And, and I think of the word cantankerous. Right? Cantankerous is like complaining, complaining all the time. And very self-righteous. Uh, it wasn't like that in my days. Uh, you young people, uh, it's, it's always like that, right? And the commentator William Barclay, who wrote commentaries for many books of the Bible, he says, the years, that means your, your age, uh, as you age, you ought to bring not an increasing intolerance, but an increasing tolerance and sympathy for the views and the mistakes of, the, of others, of the younger ones. As we grow older, we become like, yeah, you guys, you young people are... You ought to be the other way around. You ought to have more sympathy. That, oh, it wasn't like that in my days. Nowadays, you guys got all kinds of distractions and temptations and I never had to face. And therefore, more sympathy, more tolerance. But it quite often, it's the other way around. So, be sensible. Be self-controlled. You're old men. Not many here. Not like preaching to myself. It's like, older men, help the young ones. Don't just like blast them away. And, ah, you young people, you, you just don't know what you're, you're doing. Don't blast them away. Be gracious so that the young people might approach you, might find you attractive. And then be dignified. Don't be disagreeable. Don't be cantankerous. I believe that's what Paul was trying to tell the older man in uh, Crete. Now the younger man. What is a good caricature of the young man? Disrespectful. Disrespectful, selfish, nah? and, and you know, young people these days are very, very selfish. They are smart alecky because they know everything, right? They just ask Google. They know everything. And uh, I came across this ancient Greek, I believe it might be Spartan uh, saying. It says, I quote, It is the function of the young to get rid of their elders to make room on the planet. Right? Because these old people are quite useless, right? I mean, they, they're not productive in society anymore. They're just like taking up space. <laughs> Get rid of them. And Paul says, be sensible. Be self-controlled, you young punks. No, he didn't say that. He said, young men. Be humble. Be gracious. Ask for help. Receive sound advice. Okay, now, older woman. What's the caricature? Local term? Auntie, right? Auntie. Okay, um... Dangerous territory here, but <laughs> gossipers, busybodies. And Paul says, set a good example for the young women. Teach them, show them how to love their families. And then younger women, what is the common character of the younger woman? Okay, at the risk of receiving hate mail from you later on, the, the singlish word is hiao. <laughs> okay, vanity. And say, Paul says, be sensible, be self-controlled. You know, your beauty and your smooth skin, it'll fade. It will get wrinkled. 
but your greatest achievement will be homemaking. You make a great home, a future generation, and people can see the love, the faith in your home. <coughs> now, not Paul, but Peter, the other apostle, also has a lot to say about this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, says, Do not let your adorning, we're talking about woman, be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, cannot die, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So we've gone through this several categories of people. We've covered what is sound, what is healthy. We talked about self-control, sensible, what does sensible mean to the old, to the young. And now let's talk about so that, the three so that, so that the word of God may not be reviled, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us, so that in everything we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So the first one, so that the word of God may not be reviled. And the word reviled is translated in other versions as malign, from which you get the word malignant. Uh, the actual word means blasphemio, to be blasphemed, to be dishonored, to be discredited, to, to, uh, to be brought to shame. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 24 uh, says this, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed or reviled among the Gentiles because of you. What an indictment. Uh, and, and actually, this quotation comes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 5. And since the Old Testament days, the word of God has been blasphemed among the non-Jews because of the behavior of the Jews. Recently, I read a book, a fairly thick book, uh, about a, a very successful Asian businessman. And I was very impressed. One whole chapter was dedicated to how he came to be a Christian late in life. I think about in his 60s, he became a Christian. And so, as usual, I'll, I'll, I'll put a post on Facebook. Uh, uh, any good book that I read, I will just put it up and then make a, a few s small comments. Um, and then immediately almost, I receive a comment back on Facebook. And this person says, this guy, uh, he doesn't live according to biblical principles. In fact, he's a crook. So I quickly told this guy, hey, Facebook is a very public forum, you know this? If this guy, rich businessman, read your post, he may sue you for not, not blasphemy, but uh, defamation, right? So then he quickly took out, uh, deleted the, the post. Two days later, I was talking to a, another a businesswoman who comes from the same country as this man who was in the book. And then she told me, you know, uh, this family, uh, did you know that they're under investigation for corruption? I said, uh -huh. and, and you know, uh, a few years ago, one of the MDs uh, was jailed for corruption. I think three years. And then he came out of jail. Several years later, now he's under investigation for corruption again. And he's jailed a second time. <laughs> wow, and you got this book going around the world saying that, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a great philanthropist, and I, I give money to this and that and that charitable cause, and, and yet, corruption. And you hear comments like this all the time, right, in the business world, like, you call yourself a Christian, 
and this is how you behave. If that's the way, then your God and your Word of God, your Bible and your doctrine cannot be all that good, really. You are really no better than the average corrupted businessman. And what an indictment if that is said of a Christian. And how sad it is that it is not just businessmen or Christian businessmen, but even Christian pastors who are in jail and some who have to resign in disgrace and whose conduct has caused the name of God to be reviled. Blaspheme, malign, put to shame. Number two, so that an opponent may be put to shame. Opponent put to shame, not just not, not the Christian. Having nothing evil to say about us. Now, I have a quote here, and you can try and make a guess who said this. Undeniably, character does count for our nation. And this week, we celebrate the importance of character in our individual lives. And apparently, in this country, there is such a thing called National Character Week. Uh, and this quote was in October 1997. Core ethical values of trustworthiness, fairness, responsibility, caring, respect, and citizenship form the foundation of our democracy, our economy, and our society. Exactly two months after this person said this, the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke out. So it wasn't your opponents that will be put to shame, but ourselves. And I guess people have a lot to say about uh, Bill Clinton in those days. And so Paul tells us, tells Titus to teach the Christians to live in such a way that our opponents will have no spear, which is singlish for our opponents will have nothing bad to say about us. Nothing evil to say about us. Not just Paul, but the Apostle Peter also teach the same thing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honour Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. So our conduct is to put other people to shame. They will have no spark. They cannot say anything bad against you. So we had a negative example. <coughs> now let's look at perhaps a, a more positive example. And I think a good example would be Billy Graham. Now Billy Graham wasn't without his critics. Huh? He wasn't a perfect person. But I think by the time he died, he made everyone speechless. They had no spiak. They really, really couldn't find too many bad things to say about him. And one of them was this uh, pastor from a, a church in Chattanooga. And he says, in his time, in Billy Graham's time, when televangelists took advantage of millions of people, Reverend Billy Graham's unscathed character may have been his greatest impact on Christianity. It's simply that he was unblemished, right? Unscathed character may well have spoken more than his thousands and thousands of sermons given. That's what this pastor says. An unscathed character, or in, in Singlish, a no-spiak life testimony. Nobody really 
can say anything bad about you. So the first one, so that the Word of God would not be brought to shame. Second one, so that your opponents may be put to shame. It simply calls us to live a shame-less life. A shameless life. Okay, it can be interpreted very badly, but a shameless life is what Paul calls us to do. And the third, so that, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour. Now, the word adorn, Greek word is cosmeo, and you know immediately the word cosmetic comes from it. Other translations put it as put in order. Make sure that it is orderly. The NIV translates it as make attractive. The King James Version says garnish. So that in everything we may make attractive the doctrines of God our Saviour. In the 19th century, there was a German philosopher, Heinrich Hein. He was not a believer. And he said, show me your redeemed life. And I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. That was a challenge to the Christian of his days. And we all know about Muhammad Gandhi, and he has many things to say about Christians. And he's quoted here as saying, if Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ, as found in the Bible, all of, Christ, all of India would be Christians today. If only we would live how we preach. So now let's turn to verse 11 to 15. Note the word appear, which appears twice in these four verses. And note what it says that is sandwiched between the two appears. So reading from verse 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. First appearing, first coming, Christmas cross that brings salvation. Second appearing, second coming that brings glory. Between the cross and His second coming is this life. What is it to be? A Cretan kind of life or a life of grace? The grace that we receive now practiced. You know, usually in Paul's letters, like in Romans and Ephesians, he will start with very grand doctrine and, and theology, and then he will move on to the later passages to talk about how we apply these doctrines. But here in Titus chapter 2, he starts with the practical issues of Christian character, Christian behavior, and then he gives a very short summary, verse 11 to 15, in terms of doctrine. And all the things that the older woman and the younger woman, the older man and the younger man and servants need to do and practice all the good that we are to do and to teach, it is not out of us a sense of guilt uh, that you might have received from this sermon, but it is, it, is, it is grace. It's not guilt, but it's grace. We do good because we have received good from God. We have received grace from God. And verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. 
right is might, regardless of age. So like in the first service, I tell the older man and the older woman, if today this sermon were preached by a 16-year-old young punk, right? 16-year-old and he declares Titus chapter 2 and he calls on the old man not to be cantankerous and he calls on the, uh, the older woman not to gossip and not to be, not to be uh, uh, slanderous, he has every right. Because right is might. And, and who are you, older man and older woman, to say, oh, you're 16 years old, what do you know? Okay? No, you declare, you exhort, you rebuke with all authority because right is might. And so young men, young women here, you live your life right. You show by your example and then you declare, you can even rebuke an older man if he is going against the Word of God. Let no one disregard you. Okay, some of you might well be saying now, actually, uh, this whole sermon totally irrelevant to me because I'm quite alright. I'm, I'm quite alright. Uh, I think I live quite a sensible life. I'm fairly dignified. Uh, I'm okay. So, not so relevant to me. You know, eight times in the book of Titus, Paul calls for us to do or to teach what is right, what is good. So let me now turn to another apostle, James. What did he say in James chapter 4, verse 17? He says, whoever knows the right thing to do, the good thing to do, and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Wow. That means all of us are sinful. And what do we do? when we come across that, we recognize it. Yeah, sin is sin. I recognize it. I repent of it. I turn away from it. I renounce it. I rely on God, the Holy Spirit, because I can't. I don't have the strength or, or the power to, to turn from what is bad to do the good that I want to do. And therefore, I ask God, I rely on the Holy Spirit to help me. However, there is some unsound doctrine, uh, unhealthy doctrine that is uh, being preached around the world now to say that why do Christians need to repeatedly confess their sins? You've confessed it once when you ask Jesus into your life and that's good enough. No need to. Just live this life of grace. God has already forgiven you and you can live it any which way you want. I think that is most unhealthy, most unsound. And if you read James chapter 4, verse 17, how can you teach that doctrine? There's so much of good for us to do, so much that is right for us to do, and we have failed to do it, and therefore, let's get out there and do it. Rely on the Holy Spirit, repent, and get out there and do it. Imagine what society will be like. Imagine how your office and, and, and your area of influence would be like if you live out Titus chapter 2. Whether you're a young or you're old. And that will be world-changing. Now, Paul addressed the different groups, right? The older man, the older woman, the younger man, young woman. And I believe he's calling for an intergenerational interaction or discipleship. Otherwise, why would he do that? Right? Older man teach the young man, older woman teach the, the young woman. So, so there needs to be this intergenerational discipleship that is going on in the Cretan church that for, for Titus to work out. And recently, uh, I have a, a monthly pastor's meeting 
And one of the pastors there was saying that in his church, he is calling his leaders that each leader ought to have four relationships. And each leader ought to have a mentor. And each leader ought to mentor someone, so he had a mentee. And you need to have a confidant whom you can share your, your deepest things and who is not afraid to tell you that you're wrong. And then you need a, a life coach, he calls it. So I ask him quickly, what is a life coach? He said, oh, a life coach is somebody you, you want to have one aspect and you want to learn from him just one aspect. For example, maybe he's a very successful corporate uh, person and you wanted to learn uh, how to avoid office politics from him. Or this person is particularly good in a certain theology, maybe church history, and you want to learn from him. So only uh, a narrow aspect. Well, it would be great if your mentor can be all of this. But sometimes they're not, so he, uh, he advocates this. But really, it's about how do we live life uh, in a church? You know, in, when I was younger, I look around for mentors, and I can't find one, or one who is up to my standard. So I expect my mentor to be like Moses, right? Very, very holy, then cannot find. You know how arrogant that is? Huh? Now I realize how arrogant that is, that nobody is good enough to be my mentor. And I hope that none of you will be thinking like that because who among us would be so great? Um, so, in all humility, approach someone to be your mentor, knowing that that someone is, um, is weak, is also sinful, and let's work, uh, work out life, life together. So, So that's how the church is supposed to operate. That's how we are supposed to impact society. And I'm just very, very sad. Um, in the last week, I was in East Timor with uh, singing, and I was there to do a few things because one of our workers, and we spent money, we trained this person for four years, and now we find that she's living with a man, unmarried, and has no plans to get married. So he said, what are you thinking? You're trained in theology and you go around now teaching Sunday school when everybody knows your background. And I've been told that when she teaches, people walk out. Like, you know, you stand here and teach and people walk out the door. He said, what are you thinking? And then this person says, okay, uh, we're thinking about marriage. Uh, maybe I take a leave of absence now and after I get married, uh, can I come back? Sorry, you can't. So, tears all around. Sorry, you've you, you got to go. You've got to go. Because with this example, you can do a lot of other things, but you cannot teach. Right? You just don't have the, the credibility. And, and what a shameful uh, and, and regrettable thing that is. So, on the other hand, on the other hand, if you live an upright life, if you live according to Titus chapter 2, uh, weak as we are, we want to pray for that day when someone will say, wow, your life like that now. Cannot be explained, man. Only because of God uh, who can turn uh, you around. And, and sometimes I hope that when people look at me and how nasty and arrogant and self-righteous I have been in, in, in days past, they will see a bit of humility 
and they will give glory to the Father in heaven. I hope that will be the case for all of us. So let's pray. Have a moment of reflection. And, and like Philippians 4 says, you know, whatever is lovely, pure, admirable, think about these things. You know, and, and dream of your office, your school, where indeed a man, a woman of righteousness live among them. And that's you. And what an impact that will be to where God has placed you. People simply cannot say anything bad about you. What you do is dignified, is sensible, is loving, is gracious. And think about what an impact that will be. However, if we have not been such a great testimony, then it's again very simple. We acknowledge it first of all, we call sin, sin. What we want to do that is right, we have not done, it is sin. Yes, God, it is sin. Would you now help me? By the power of the Holy Spirit, help me. Repent, turn around, get it right. And so let's pray. For Holy, Sp Holy Spirit power to transform our lives. No matter how weak or what the past has been. Leave the past behind. Press on to the future. God can transform our lives from one degree of glory to another. Progressively, in degrees. And live the life that Paul is telling Titus to teach a group of people in a society that is so rotten that we stand up, we become the fragrance of Christ. We are countercultural. We are godly people. So, Father God, I want to pray mostly for my younger brothers and sisters in Christ here. Lord, that their lives will be so transformed. They will live so counterculturally that people will see and say, it cannot be. It cannot be except that there is a power behind them. It is Holy Spirit power. They stand righteous where everything else is rotten. They are not going the way of the world. There is something so special. They bring a, a freshness into our group discussions and interactions. They are fun-loving, but they are dignified and serious people. They behave like no other people I have seen. And it seems like the only way to explain it is they're Christians. God, would you anoint each one of us to be that special ambassador for you where you have placed us to live a life so righteous, so holy, so dignified, so self-controlled, so sensible that your name be glorified. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.